This is Canada Reads American Style, featuring two friends who love Canada Reads and Canadian literature. Welcome our host Rebecca from Michigan and Tara from Ontario. Hi everyone, it's Rebecca and today I am chatting with author, editor and publisher Lee Thompson. Lee was born and raised in Moncton, New Brunswick, and has had fiction published in five anthologies and in more than a dozen literary journals across Canada and the U.S. His most recent novel, A Pastoral, A Mystopia, was published last year and won the Fiction Prize at the 2022 New Brunswick Book Awards. When not writing, Lee is a busy editor and book designer and is the publisher and founder of Galleon Books, a small literary publishing house. Welcome, Lee. Thank you. Great, uh, Great to talk to you, Rebecca. Great. Thank you. Well, I was just saying to you before we started to record that I've been at the podcast for four years and I have wanted to talk to an editor for so long because I am absolutely fascinated uh, with what you all do in working with authors. And sometimes, you know, authors will thank their editors. And yet, if I've ever asked questions about them, they're very, they don't say a lot about their editors publicly, I guess, to at least in interviews and stuff. So I'm really excited to chat with you. But uh, I, we are, I'm going to start right now, though, with asking first a little bit about you. And if you could tell us a little bit about your background and what path you followed to become a writer, an editor, and a publisher. Yeah, I mean, it's great. It's great to talk to you. Uh... Those two things, how I became an editor and a writer and eventually a publisher, I guess that's three things. Uh, they're really very much entwined and they were not planned. Uh, in my mid-20s, I was not a reader. In my mid-20s, I started reading quite a bit. And uh, that eventually led to me thinking that I wanted to to be a writer. I was a little bit lost in life in terms of what do I want to do. I had been a musician and before that I was in visual arts and other of those really clicked but I was always thinking in stories, and once I started reading a lot, I started getting a feel for, now this is me, and this is something I could do quite well. It took some time, but uh, I was a very adventurous reader, and that led to me being a very adventurous writer, trying a number of different styles, and always wondering why something worked. Why did this sentence work? Why did this paragraph, why did this rhythm work when others didn't? And that type of close attention to just language and how things really work. You know, I'm not formally trained at all, but if you're attentive enough and curious enough, and you know, look into things, uh, you can you can you can learn a lot. And uh, that was really it for me. This attention to detail and why and how things work, both in my writing and in editing, and that led to me um, eventually seeking feedback, but also. Uh, giving a lot of feedback. More and more writers were asking me to, to give my opinion, friends who were writers on, on the writing. So that's really fascinating that you weren't necessarily a reader, but then this is the career path you've chosen, which is all about books and readers, et cetera. So yeah, it's kind of fascinating. Yeah, I consider I wrote my juvenilia in my uh, mid to late twenties. <laughs> I got wow. that out of the way. And, uh, you know, by I think I first published when I was 29. So my goal was to get that by the time I was 30. I first wrote a story around when I was 27. And, uh, and I had some, you know, successes right away. And 
I remember I had a story in a very important, uh, so to speak, anthology for the region when I was, this is my third published story, I think. And the editors were saying, well, you know, agents are going to be all over you for this, but I didn't have much else. I had some good stories, I had a few bad stories, but I was still uh, finding my way, but it was a good boost. Yeah. So what did you, when you went to school, did you have a plan what you wanted to do? And then that just went out the window? So what were you thinking you might do? I really didn't know. I didn't have a lot of direction. I had some mm-hmm. talent in visual arts. I thought, actually, I wanted to, you know, study visual arts. I took that in high school. and I'd done all the, you know, I'd applied to university, got accepted in a, in a program. But I didn't really have any vision as an artist. I didn't, I was very young, 17. And I also thought I'd take a, a writing course at the same time. So that interest was there, even though I wasn't much of a reader. Yeah. But yeah, it, uh, it took a while. I, you know, I was a, a little lost as a, as, a, as a person trying to find their way until my till my mid twenties. Yeah. Now I have a copy of your book, A Pastoral, but I haven't finished it yet. And so, and I really wanted to be able to ask questions about it, but I just couldn't get it finished by the time we did this uh, interview. But can you tell us what the book is about and what prompted you to write this very thought provoking novel? Because I think it's really unique. <laughs> You know, as I started writing, I started to find my niche, 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 sorry, in, um, <laughs> because I read a lot. It doesn't mean I can always pronounce the words correctly. Um, <laughs> niche. Uh, and um, very odd fiction, humorous fiction, stuff that draws from dreams. Uh, but in this case, it was always the challenge of what's it like to be, and I've always been fascinated with what, how do other people think? How do other people see the world? And how we talk past each other sometimes or interpret one event in two very different ways or three or four. And with this story, it was the idea, how do, how do animals perceive the world? And I realized it's short of writing, you know, Watership Down or something like that, or an outright allegory like Animal Farm. How, how can I do this? How could I tell a story from an animal's perspective? And I decided that I wanted to put a person's brain that perception, that ability to think inside an animal's body, and and but they still have the animal's hindbrain connected. So this whole story of this is a, a new way to punish criminals, uh, and there's this technology that exists, and somewhere in the future that you can put take a criminal's, you know, in this case, a man who is accused of murder falsely, and put his brain inside a sheep, and this is a new program called Constock, and this is kind of an absurd, mad crazy world where this is permitted and you know it's entertainment in some ways but at the same time to tell the story from this character whose name's his name is bones what's it like for him to actually go through this and there's two uh two storylines that how he ends up in this position and him in this position trying to somehow you know find justice which isn't really you know it's oh i don't want to give everything away but this yeah. the, the procedure is irreversible so he has to come to terms with this, and it's a, it's just what I just. How do I tell this? And it's going to be a lot of fun trying to do it. And and I, I loved writing the book, and it was about ten years ago that I wrote it, maybe twelve. Yeah, and so was this a story that you had kind of in your head for a while before you? Well, if it's been ten years that you before you published it, so were you just sort of working on it for a while and setting it aside? How did that process take place? I found a document a few months back in 2009 I'd written and I outlined the first few pages 
And I had forgotten about that, but then I really started writing it in 2010, 2011, spent two years or so. And then I thought, well, this is a wonderful idea. You know, publishers are going to leap at this. And I was surprised that they were cautious. And so I tried seven or eight different publishers and I'm not the type of writer who I'll just bombard, you know, I won't send a hundred different um, manuscripts out and hope for one. I choose selectively. It's, you know, it's good for the soul. <laughs> you don't want to, I, I, I can't, I can't, you know, handle 25 rejections in a row. <laughs> so try to be strategic. And uh, so after a while, I, I didn't get that acceptance. I was a little surprised, but you know, it's a tough competition out there. I took the manuscript to the Banff writing studio, which is a wonderful program, had great feedback there and that renewed uh, my faith in it, but still it didn't, happened. I was had a couple of very close calls, including one publisher who said, you know, we've already published three New Brunswick authors. We need to publish more Ontario authors because we're in Ontario press. Otherwise, you know, try us again in a year. Yeah, but eventually uh, Corona Samizat Press came up and I was vouched for by another one of their authors. And it was a very simple process. I didn't even have to go through the approval stage. It was just like, you know, my friend Jeff Bercy says, the manuscript's good enough, you know, for our press. And then the publisher, Rick Hirsch, said, I'll take it. Simple as that. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad it was published because, I, like I said, I'm only a little ways into the book, but it just is really a book that I think has so many layers to it. There's the obvious, just the story, which is really compelling, but then there's there are all these layers to it. And I can't wait to read get it finished and, uh, and I'll report back, but I'm sure I'm going to love this. Uh, it, it has gotten great reviews. So. Hope you do enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, I, I, well, I love the idea of animals and humans and, and that relationship and the things that we get from animals and the things that we take from them. And I, I just think when I saw what the book was about, I immediately purchased a copy because it's really the kind of thing I like to explore in literature. So I mean, and I love like Watership Down and many other animal books. So yeah, I, I'm really excited. And I do want to encourage everybody to take a look at that book. Make sure you go out and get a copy. There's a bit more swearing in mind than Watership Down, but. Oh yeah. I don't care about that. <laughs> that does, Like that never has bothered me. I used to be a bartender back in the day. So yeah, it's no problem there. <laughs> Now, I wanted to ask you just because as an author, and then we'll talk more about your editing process here in a minute, but I just wondered who advises or edits your writing? It's a good question. Uh, for the longest time, I was part of a few writing, writing groups, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm not any longer involved in those groups. Uh, but so I think my, you know, I sometimes I'll send things out to friends. I mentioned Jeff Bercy. He's taken a look at uh, work of mine in the past. And I know I have a few people who would certainly, but I think my biggest source of feedback uh, right now is uh, my partner, Cindy, who was uh, for the past seven years or so has read pretty much everything I've written and, uh, and so provided some wonderful feedback. She's not a writer, but she certainly can write and has a wonderful mind. Yeah. I've always wondered that about book groups that way or writer, writing groups, that do you ever... I don't know if you can answer these some of these questions I might ask, but do you ever have someone provide feedback to you where you maybe don't respect their writing or their opinion as much? And then how do you manage or or do or do you end up sometimes getting positive feedback where you think, are they being really 
clear and honest about the feedback. Like I, writers groups really fascinate me. I'm not a writer, so I'm just kind of curious how that dynamic works. There's lots of dynamics there. And, you know, the groups I've been part of for a long time have been very, um, one was more of a social group, but one was a very uh, closely, um, tightly knit group with many published authors in it. And the feedback was generally very sincere. And it can be tough at first if you really love something and someone doesn't. But, you know, if you're going to get, if you're going to get anywhere as, as a writer, you have to, you have to take feedback. You have to be your own harshest critic. And you also have to, you know, take the good stuff too and accept it as, you know, this really is a good story. People are, can be as tough on themselves in terms of accepting that something is good as they can be in terms of accepting a bit of, you know, direction. It's, uh, it's, it's challenging, but you, you, you learn to, you know, know who is giving you the, the most valuable feedback and who is maybe just wanting to <laughs> say some nice things. Um, not everyone, but you know, and in those groups, the best thing always to do afterwards was to to send it. You know, please send me the manuscript, and I'll give you more feedback. Or you sent it in advance. But yeah, yeah, you just you know, everybody has their own advice, and you learn to pick out what's what really works for you, and uh, learn to listen. Boy, I think I feel like that would just be I I really really love and respect and admire authors. I don't have that skill set, so I always think to myself, if I were an author. I don't know how well I could handle feedback, like honest feedback. You know what I mean? Like I always think you've got to have a really strong sense of who you are. So maybe are all authors kind of that way um, that they can handle that feedback? Or have you encountered authors who maybe struggle to get constructive feedback? Yeah, um, authors they need to be able to handle criticism. You have to be your own worst critic. And a lot of creative writing schools, what what they do is they teach writers to to be able to edit themselves, to be able to look at themselves critically. And um, if you don't really have that, you're not, I mean, you can write, but you're not really going to reach those levels, I believe, where you're, you're improving and doing something a little different and discovering things about yourself and about what writing is and how it connects all of us. You're just going to be kind of pleasing a lot of people, maybe pleasing yourself. And, you know, that's fine if you're, if you're a type of writer who wants to just, um, entertain, I guess, purely. Yeah. You have to be able to take feedback. It's like life in general, in any creative process, you need to be able to take feedback and not take it too to heart, but just, you know, here I am, this is what I do. Uh, this is how I feel about things. And where does this fit in, in terms of my beliefs? Uh, and, you know, hopefully you grow. Yeah, so really, it sounds like it. It has to be a balance, right? You, it just has to be a balance because I, especially as you're talking about creative people, I guess that's that's what you have to do is to find that sort of middle ground where you can accept feedback but also be strong in your own point of view, right? Yeah, yeah, not just be swayed by everything at the same time to build up uh, your reasons why why you're doing what you're doing and why you believe in what you believe, and uh, yeah, that comes with experience. Yeah. Okay. So now I kind of want to get into your role as an editor, because this is the thing that really fascinates me, because I want to, first, if you can explain sort of like a general pitch to us about what an edit, what an editor does, and then I'll have follow-up questions related to that. <laughs> okay. Um, it's, you know, it varies, right? Um, there's so many different ways to edit things and there's substantive edits and there's copy edits and there's proofreading and there's 
you know, these, these edits where you just tear things apart and you really uh, try to try to give direction. But there's edits where you just tweak little things. It all depends on, you know, the shape of the manuscript and what the author is looking for. Uh, it's a tricky business because you're dealing with people's um, hearts and souls. And, you know, I, I work with a lot of first-time writers, first-time authors. And you have to give feedback that both encourages and um, builds up what they're doing at the same time hopefully uh, helps them improve and helps improve the manuscript and you know, it, it's happened from time to time where not generally but I, I haven't heard back from a client just because they uh, they were they were shocked by by the comments mm-hmm. or, or embarrassed I had one author tell me that they were uh, they didn't never responded because they were embarrassed by the number of corrections and I said that's par for the course uh, you know so I am an author might be someone who's published a lot and just doesn't know why a story or a novel isn't working or someone maybe just doing this for the first time they have an idea but they're you know they're having trouble with tense or character perspective or dialogue um so many different things that I face, whether it's, and it can be an adult novel, it can be a novel written for children. It could be someone's uh, PhD thesis. Uh, yeah, it's pretty wide. I, I edit pretty much all comers. So. so, okay. So when somebody approaches you then, do they, are they pretty clear about what they need? Because I hadn't thought about all the layers or all the levels you just talked about. So would somebody maybe come to you and say, it's the dialogue I'm having trouble with, or does somebody literally come with a whole book and say, you know, and, and I guess that's the question. Do they know what they're coming to you for specifically? Or sometimes is it, wow, I'm, you just now have this whole book that you have to try to slog. I don't want to say slog through, but you know, you have to look at all those things you just talked about. I think the more experienced Writers, the ones who've uh, had some publishing success or a lot of feedback, will often just say, "I'm, I'm you know, I'm concerned about this aspect of the story." But by and large, just you're looking at the whole thing. And I will ask sometimes, "Are there certain things you're concerned about? They really want me to pay attention to." Um, I had an author ask me to look at how a certain section was woven between two time periods. But you know, by and large, it's it's here's my book edit it. Uh, let me know what you think. Um, I have concerns about this or that, but for the most part, it's, you're looking at the whole thing. Um, but someone might just want to proofread, and if I find things, I'll point them out. Uh, it's, it's, it's varied, but uh, mostly it's a, whole, it's a whole edit. You're looking at the whole thing. Now, when somebody gets published or gets their that, their book published, do you ever go back and read it and then think, can, like, can you see your own feedback within that book if you do that, or do you just not? Like, you've seen enough of it, you let them go on and do their publishing thing, and and you're kind of done with it from that point. Or can you see your efforts, I guess, in their manuscript? That can be a very hands-on editor. So sometimes I'll actually rewrite passages. It's the best way to show how I think something could be done. I say it's a suggestion. So in that way, actually concretely, I can see my writing sometimes in another client's manuscript. And then I might say, you know, something like this and this, they can, I keep your line. I said, of course you can. And, you know, some manuscripts go through five, six, seven, eight different uh, edits. 
as I send it back, the client does more, they send it back, I look at that, I suggest this, depends on, you know, time and, and, and finances, to be honest. I'm always very interested in, in what's happening to a client's book if it's been published. So let's say that you get a book, like what's the maybe average length of time you might have a book that you're working with an author or is there, does it, can it go on for like a year? You know, like what's the time, I have no idea what a time frame would be. Yeah, it can go on for, um, you can, you know, if you do a couple of edits, it might be over four or five months um, because you send it back and then the client has to get it back to you and you get it back again. And I don't know if there's a proofread as well, it depends on what services they want, but I've, I've worked with some clients on, you know, three, four years on a certain book. You know, if they, if they want to put that amount of time into it, then you know, I'm, I'm willing. Sometimes a very large, ambitious book will need quite a lot of time to work on. And others, you know, it's like you've done your one edit for me. That's all I need. Uh, sometimes I'll read, I'll read a comment saying, uh, this book was good, but it needed, it needed an editor. And, you know, uh, even though I edited it, it, you know, I might agree it did need more editing, but you know, it, it, it can be an expensive uh, thing. And some yeah. clients are shocked by what the cost is, but you know how long it takes just to read something. So to read something slowly, slowly, and then the comment, and then to to re- rework stuff and think about it, it's a, it's a it's a process. Yeah. So when you're editing and you're also writing, so you're doing your own writing, is it kind of can you do those things sort of at the same time or, or do you need more time away from editing other people's work to come back to your own writing? No, I can do, I could do both at the same time in theory, uh, often time wise. I'm so uh, busy with editing projects that there's not a whole lot of time for my own writing, but all the writing I've done in the past uh, seven, eight years, even though I've had uh, grants to allow me to focus on writing, uh, I've, been doing editing and writing at the same time. Yeah. And then I have a question. I've always, kind of, well, okay. So I, my background is um, I, I'm a retired library director, but I was a youth librarian for a while at the beginning of my career. And it's so funny how many friends of mine would come to me and say, oh, I have an idea for a children's book. And they would say, can I get feedback from you? And I'd say, sure, because I was pretty well read in children's literature. So I would say, sure. And then they would have, they would try to either have a picture book that needed to be like a novel or a novel that really was kind of a picture book. You know what I mean? And it was really hard to try to tell people. And I was just telling them not, I certainly am not an editor or anything, but I thought I have this experience of reading lots of children's books and I kind of know what people check out and how that goes. So do you ever have that experience with people thinking that writing for children is just really simple and they it's almost like writing for adults or something. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes they, they um, oversimplify. I think the, find, the thing I find the most often, most often with children's people writing for children's, for children, children's books is that they, they tend to oversimplify and not and leave, leave out a lot of really interesting details that would really engage um, a child. And more often than not, I'm asking them to expand the story, to make it more, to bring out some details. And one, I know I worked on one that actually became a much longer, longer book. I think my last question for you, well, actually, it may not be my last because something else, you might say something that will trigger me, but I wondered if you ever read book reviews of the books you've edited 
And have you ever thought, because boy, I'll tell you, some I'm a I'm the kind of person that I think writers work so hard that I don't give I don't give bad reviews because I feel like I don't even have that talent. So I'm not going to bash somebody for something I can't even remotely do. So, but some people love to give those one star reviews. Now, if you see a bad review for a book you edited, do you ever feel, do you ever take it kind of personally? Uh, if there's a comment on the editing, I might, but uh, it's, it's, I mean, yeah, like you said, there are these people who just want to give uh, a one star or two star review for almost no reason. I haven't had much experience with that with the books I've, I've worked on. Um, I was very, you know, pulling for those authors, and whether it's been a self-published book or something that's been picked up by a publishing house, just to see any review is 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 great, you know, because everybody's struggling and trying to just to get some recognition. And it's great when you know people like yourself doing these podcasts uh, give authors, you know, like Jared Edson, you did a, f- a few weeks ago, just give that spotlight. Yeah. And Jared's book is getting Jared's books getting great reviews, and it's one of the ones that I published recently. And that that impetus to to publish was just to get these authors out here and get get readers reading them. And yeah, it's a little bit off track from your question, but it hasn't happened too much that I've seen a bad review of something I've worked on. But I, I feel bad for the author if that happens. If it's unfair and it hasn't been you know duly read, given us given us due. I totally agree. And that's why I don't do it. And and honestly, if a book, if I'm not really feeling a book at all, I just, I don't finish it and I don't say anything. I don't have to make any comments about it. But uh, I do think sometimes people see that as kind of a funny thing to do. And, and I think about the person behind it who put their heart and soul into something and went through this whole process of editing and publishing and everything. And I just would never do that to an author. So... You brought up the Jared Edson book, and that's one of the things that Tara, my partner, and I really want to do is we both love Canlit. I'm an American. She's Canadian. But we both really love Canlit, and especially these small presses or these authors who, you know, have to, you know, get their books out there. And that's one of the things we love doing is interviewing them and helping put the word out a little bit. You know, we don't have a huge podcast, but we love anything we can do to help support uh, Canadian authors who aren't the big names, right? Because they already, they're going to get their publicity and everything. But that's one of the things we try to do is to help highlight those authors that we really enjoy that aren't the ones that are going to, that will have a ton of publicity behind them, right? Now, my last question for you is, what background would you recommend if somebody wanted to go into editing? What should they be doing to sort of follow that career path? I know yours was a little bit different, but is there something that people could do to sort of get a leg up, so to speak, on on that whole process? I mean, I think a lot of people go to school for it. I did not, which probably is purposely in the minority. But yeah, just you have to love you have to love reading. You have to love reading widely too, and. Um, I think that I think if you're if you're someone who who reads and you you see why that that comma shouldn't be there or you see why that sentence doesn't work, and you have these thoughts on, but you can be you know it's it's funny because you also have to be very fair because everybody writes differently. You can't try to shape everything you read into a certain style. So so there's there's editors who are just they're, they're copy editors. They just follow the rules and and they write for, you know, and make sure everything's clear. But there's also editors like myself who really get inside a story 
And so if you're reading and you think this story would have worked much better if this or that had happened, or if this character had not been there, or, or, or if this scene had been expanded, if you find you're that type of reader, then I think, you know, that's, that's where the editor's bones really are in that type of get inside the story and find out why it works and doesn't work. So that makes me think, though. So how how do you keep your writing style separate from somebody who you're editing? That, it just dawned on me because it's like you said, you might write it this way, but maybe that's not how they would do it. So how, So you have to really get into the head of the author that you're editing and really understand what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, especially for an author like myself, I write in a lot of first person narratives and different styles. So it's actually a bonus for me. I've, I've been so involved in a client's manuscript. And in one case, he had very specific rhythms of speech. And I, I found I borrowed these in a story I was writing, but it was a, a character's voice and it worked. And a ghost wrote a, a memoir recently in the very uh, strong Newfoundland, Canada, um, rhythm and accent. And I, and I started writing a story and I thought, this is perfect for this character. So in my case, I just steal it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You just talked about ghost writing. So tell me how that works. That's kind of interesting to me as well. I've only done really one true ghost writing project and it was a series of interviews and then taking those interviews and boiling down to uh, the stories and trying to capture that voice, but at the same time making it coherent because people you know people ramble and tell stories in a very uh, circuitous way. That's a lot of work and, you know, and that's, it can be very expensive. This project took over a year and uh, wasn't even that large a book, but uh, it's very rewarding in the end. I don't know if we'll ever see the light of day, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, ever I think everybody does it very differently, but it's, you might do one, two ghostwriting projects a year if you're if you're that's what you do. It's not really what I do, but if I'm asked, uh, so it's really so. I think of like some people, uh, especially in the U.S. You know, we have everybody now who's writing books about the former president here. I'm pretty sure they're not writers, so they're all coming out with their own books now. So probably, and it does say usually that they're working with someone. So basically, they could just be providing recordings of whatever, and then the ghostwriters going in and putting it together, correct? Probably the most common way that is done, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, I have to say, you're probably all underpaid. All of the, all of you editors, ghostwriters, et cetera, you're probably all underpaid for what you do to uh, bring great books to us ultimately. So, uh, well, Lee, I just want to thank you so much for letting me ask a lot of random questions because, like I said, this is a really fascinating aspect of the writing process. And uh, without editors, we wouldn't have all these great books that we have. So I just want to thank you so much for what you do and, and for our chat today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to, to talk about this. Very much enjoyed it. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on our bookish journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing Canada Reads American Style wherever you listen. You can connect with the podcast and Rebecca on Instagram at Canada Reads American Style and with Tara at On a Branch Reads. Until next time, keep reading.